Hello and welcome to another edition of the End Zone Podcast. My name is Eric Jensen and this is Super Bowl week at the End Zone Podcast. Always a fun time. Of course, we are your round football podcast just because the Super Bowl is this week. Does not mean you will not be getting great football content throughout the months of March and April and June and July and August all the way back to September. This is a year-round football podcast, as I like it to be, because I like football and I like to talk about it year-round. And there's honestly more stuff to talk about in the offseason because I can just get my takes out there. I wanted to be before I bring in our great guest today, Ryan Kearney, joining us. Here's the rundown of what you can expect from the End Zone podcast this week, today, Tuesday, Tuesday night. All of these will be coming out around 11-ish Eastern time. Uh, so if you're on the East Coast, you can listen in the morning. If you're on the West Coast, you can listen at night. Um, today, Ryan's with us. Obviously, we're going to do an Eagles deep dive. There will, of course, be some Chiefs talk in comparison, but this is an episode mainly focused on the season that the Philadelphia Eagles have had and what their strengths and weaknesses are, if there are any weaknesses. We'll get to that in a little bit. Tomorrow, we will talk about Super Bowl media night. I was flying on a plane last night. I did not get a chance to watch it. I was going to do a deep dive of some YouTube clips tomorrow to watch a Super Bowl media night best of. We'll come back. Bradford Mason was going to join us tonight. He's a little bit under the weather. Hopefully, he'll be back tomorrow. Bradford and I, though, will definitely be here tomorrow, and we will be talking about Super Bowl storylines, fun stuff, little nuggets like I've been reading The Athletic a lot recently, and Nick Sirianni, did you know he coached for the Chiefs at one point? And all this general kind of fun storyline stuff that the big game produces, that there's always plenty to talk about. Plus, if you pay close attention to some of those NFL Twitter accounts right now, it seems like the traction and buzz is growing like a Derek Carr trade could go down within the next 24 hours. So if that happens, we'll be talking about the Derek Carr trade as well. Thursday, Bradford will be the star of the show. We'll go deep on the Chiefs. We'll talk about everything that we need to know. And then Friday, expect a shorter 30-minute-ish episode. We'll talk some Super Bowl props. We'll do our Super Bowl picks. It'll be a fun time talking about the big game. And then Sunday, directly after the game, I, for one, we can talk about this in a in a minute. I, for one, do not like Super Bowl parties. I find them annoying because it's a bunch of casuals just there yabbering about the commercials and, oh, what's this Rihanna halftime show going to be like? No, none of that nonsense for me. I like to watch the football. I like to have the takes on the football. So I will be sitting alone in my basement with some wings and some pizza and about 30 minutes after the confetti falls for either the Philadelphia Eagles or the Kansas City Chiefs, I will be right back here in this studio, firing up a mic and me, Mason and Bradford will break it down in about an hour episode. And then per usual, we will go dark for about a week and a half, though expect some NBA podcast content to be coming out during that time. Also expect an NBA podcast out sometime late Thursday night. I will be recording a trade deadline recap with the friends on that show directly following our Chiefs deep dive on Thursday. That was a lot of information, but I just wanted to give it all up front. Ryan, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Eric. Appreciate it. Nice little uh, rundown of what's coming up. Enzo Pod, good stuff. Hyped to get into a lot of Eagles thoughts uh, in this one. Should be a lot of fun. You know, as you said, Super Bowl Media Week, getting everybody all pumped and excited. Uh, nothing really too kind of specifically noteworthy on my end from that uh, or out of the ordinary. But uh, nice to have the teams out in Arizona and just a, a couple days away from the Super Bowl. Should be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Bradford all the way from Edmonton, noting before that we started that the weather is nice. So that's nice. How are you doing, Bradford? Nice. Nice. I'm doing well. Nice weather is obviously subjective. I I wouldn't even necessarily consider the weather nice, but you got to understand, I'm coming from a place of, of having lived in minus 20 cells. Do whatever stupid fake Fahrenheit conversions. You got to do to understand that. But 
today, I walked outside and I could almost for a second imagine that I lived in a place where humans were supposed to live. The snow was melting, the air wasn't hurting my face. And I, th I think it sort of set the tone of this day to be a good one. And perhaps it's all been building up to this podcast, which I'm sure will be an excellent one. But yes, I'm doing well overall. Yeah, absolutely. Both of you teams in the Super Bowl, before we get too deep into the uh, into how it goes, just describe general feelings. You know, lots of people, it's very rare that we have people on this podcast whose teams are actually in the Super Bowl, uh, mainly because I'm a Broncos fan and the last time they were in the Super Bowl, this podcast literally did not exist. So how are we feeling? Your teams are in the Super Bowl. I'll go to you first, Bradford. How are you feeling? Uh, I'm I'm actually feeling pretty good. I think I've reached a state of uh, uh, peace with the thought that maybe we lose this game because I don't really think there's any shame in losing to these Eagles. You know, it's a fan base. I know Philly is, is very maligned, but considering they're in the NFC, they've never been my problem. And if they were to ever be my problem, it would really only be for this one game. I've been enjoying how, for a lot of the NFL uh, uh, fans that don't include us Chiefs fans or us Eagles fans, this is sort of their 9-11 of sorts. Like, they have not been taking this well. I, I, I don't think there was a Super Bowl that you could have picked that would have had more people mad than Chiefs-Eagles. Well, and I'm, I'm enjoying that element of it. Yes, for folks at home, uh, Bradford did just compare the fact that Americans <laughs> will have to root for either the Chiefs or the Eagles to the greatest American tragedy of our lifetimes. I don't know. Hashtag I don't know never American forget. Tragedy. I think there's been worse ones. I mean, it was a terrible No, 9-11 is the greatest American tragedy of How our lifetimes. Casualties were there in the world war. I'm not I'm not trying to debate about of our lifetime. 9-11 was definitely the worst American tragedy. My point ever. is, I'm not trying to argue about the the, the negative impacts of 9-11. I want to be on the record right now. I, I Listen, we never bad. forget this podcast. This is the content we that you We never forget. Are, we downright remember. We, we are the podcast that will never forget the 9-11 attacks. Brian, what are your thoughts I on 9-11? <laughs> Yeah, we got to cut Bradford that. off. I thought that the most ridiculous comments from the Canadian was going to be about the Celsius Fahrenheit conversion, but I guess I thought too soon on that. But in terms of the game itself, I'm excited for the Eagles. I actually have similar thoughts to Bradford in terms of kind of just like being at peace with this game. I think I was much, much, much more nervous for the NFC title game against the San Francisco 49ers, even though I figured that the Eagles would have a better chance to win that game against the Niners. Uh, it just kind of didn't sit right with me, the fact that they could lose and be, you know, held out of the game entirely. So the fact that they're here now i'm excited to just kind of sit back watch some football and feel really good about the team at hand with the eagles as well getting a little bit healthier when it comes to guys like jalen hurts lane johnson avante maddox uh you know guys who haven't necessarily missed games but have been dealing with injuries we know how that goes towards the end of the season guys fighting through some pain so uh obviously both sides with a couple of weeks to uh rest and recover a little bit more than they had but Feeling pretty good about the Eagles, obviously, uh, pretty much marched through the NFC without too much adversity. Uh, the fact they only had to play the Giants and a team with an injured quarterback who was already their third string definitely bode a easy path for them to get there in Kansas City poses much, much, much more of a threat uh, in terms of a, a quality opponent that the Eagles will have to take on. But uh, the fact they're in this game at all is uh, is great. Super excited about it. I thought coming into the year that the Eagles ceiling was to reach the NFC title game. So the fact that we're already here in the Super Bowl kind of just playing with house money uh, and it should be a fun one to be reunited with an old friend and Andy Reid uh, on the opposite sideline as well. I, I agree with what you're saying about being almost more anxious for the championship game. Like for me, not that beating the Bengals was my Super Bowl or anything, but I was far more concerned about what the offseason would feel like if we lost that game than this one. You totally. know, like with the Eagles, I feel like, oh man, we're losing to a team that literally is elite at every position a team could be elite at almost, it feels like. Like even their weaknesses aren't that weak, you know? And to me, losing I've I, I'm, I have been a little tired of some of the more uh, drawn-out narratives. Obviously, the Andy Reid thing, the Nick Sirianni thing, which I just want to say, I know that they're trying to make the Nick Sirianni. Nick Sirianni was fired by the Chiefs. I want to be very clear. He was fired after... 
being the wide receivers coach for a team that had zero wide receiver touchdowns that year. Let's not act like this was some ridiculous decision by the Chiefs to remove him. I I mean, come on now. What are, what are we doing? There, there's no touchdowns by a wide receiver. But uh, and also the the Kelsey narrative, like it's cool, but like, oh my God, I'm I know I I did know they're playing each other in the Super Bowl. I don't need to hear about this every time I tune into any football type of thing. But in general, I think this is the most fun game that this game could have been. You know, matchup wise, like I feel like the two teams that I think would be the most fun to watch. I think that's what we got here, and I'm really excited for it. Yeah, no, I I totally agree um with that uh i and yeah nick sirianni that's not a narrative that just came up because of the situation at hand of people looking for storylines and there's more eyeballs more journalists that are looking for clicks so they're trying to find anything i definitely agree there's definitely no storyline in terms of a nick sirianni revenge game or, or anything like that all right i have a question for you guys here before we get into the eagles do you think this super bowl will deliver because by and large over the past one two as i look at the wikipedia list here four years the super bowl has not been a tremendous game really we got when was the last time it was a tremendous game though eric hmm? it, the eagles were involved that I would say we got some of the best Super Bowls right in the middle of the 2010s. You know, what a run that was. If you look at just the scores, you got that eight years ago now. That's crazy to think about. Eight years ago now in this same stadium that this Super Bowl will be played at, you got the classic Patriots-Seahawks Super Bowl, which I will argue it to the end is the best Super Bowl of my lifetime. Uh, you got the, the one after wasn't great, but Broncos Super Bowl was not a tremendous game. It was a defensive slugfest won by Von Miller. But then you got 28 to three the year after. Then you got that shootout between the Eagles and the Patriots in which Nick Foles threw for the most yardage in Super Bowl history. But then over the past four years, excluding last year, the game is not been good you had that terrible rams patriots super bowl i know the chiefs niners that score looks good 31 20 but people forget for a large majority of that game the kansas city offense looked kind of lost until about the fourth quarter and the niners weren't able to really move the ball super effectively then you have the buccaneers just absolutely pasting the chiefs the year after and then last year was fine but I would argue not a super memorable Super Bowl. Uh, I'm just the last Super Bowl I would argue is super memorable would be the Philly special Philadelphia Eagles, New England Patriots Super Bowl. So because we know most of the time the big game is a little bit overhyped. Do you think this year the Super Bowl delivers? I say yes. And the reason why is that this Super Bowl is different because both teams participating have actually won a Super Bowl, not just gotten to a Super Bowl in the last five years. I think that is definitely a big caveat. We've seen these teams get over the hump, uh, you know, with players that are currently still on the roster. Obviously, there's more turnover on the Eagles roster than we saw from the Chiefs roster uh, from, you know, three years ago when they beat the Niners. But I think that that gives me reason to believe that these teams know how to prepare. They know how to handle themselves in this situation. These organizations have been there. They've done that and they know how to compete at the highest level. So I think it will deliver because both these teams have proven they can win Super Bowls uh, in, you know, recent history of the last five years. Yeah, I think I think it'll deliver as well. I mean, I feel like the Eagles have really not outside of like uh, – uh, when when Jalen Hurts was injured for a little bit, I feel like they haven't really put up like bad games at all. And I always trust Mahomes and the offense to at least do something. Like I I, I feel like I, I would be shocked if this game was a blowout in either direction. Like I think I think this is going to be one of those. I'm not saying it'll come down to like a game winning drive at the end because that's just not always how it goes with the Super Bowl, right? That's pretty rare that you see something like that, but. I don't know. Like, I don't really expect Patrick Mahomes or Jalen Hurts to have a kind of meltdown that lets this game become semi uh, unwatchable. 
Yeah, I could see that. I think he brought up a good point too in saying like it's not often that these games come down to like the final drive, but even you think last year it kind of did come down to the final drive, but it was the defensive side. It was Aaron Donald making a play that ended up winning that game. Even going back to that Patriots Rams Super Bowl, you know, it was an attempted drive at the end for Jared Goff and the Rams before a Stefan Gilmore pick ended, you know, the threat there. The Eagles Patriots Super Bowl, the Patriots have the ball, they're driving late and it's a Brandon Graham strip sack that ends up making it. So, you know, we kind of have this fantasy that oh yeah, it's going to be the the quarter back who ends up getting it done because we've seen guys like Tom Brady do it against the Falcons in overtime and Joe Montana do it way back to, uh, you know against the Cincinnati Bengals but a lot of times it can be you know kind of those impact defensive players that really stand out uh, above the rest so it'll be interesting for me to see could it be a guy like Chris Jones or Hassan Reddick for the Eagles that could end up you know delivering that kind of final punch out blow in a potential game-winning drive situation well I think one of the things that will prevent it from being a, a, a huge massacre is just the offensive lines are both so solid. I think the number one thing in football games that leads to lopsided scores is bad offensive line play almost every time. Like if that's lopsided, unless you have like a really special guy playing quarterback, that's where it would, where it really all falls apart. And I, 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 I know both teams have very effective pass rushes, which is going to be exciting, but I feel like, I trust the offensive lines to both not get totally brutalized, even though they are playing up against like uh, the Chris Joneses and the Hassan Reddicks of the, of the world. Like I, I don't see it'll, it, it'll turn into like, kind of like a meltdown that way, which has sort of been one of the main problems in a lot of recent Super Bowls, where it's just like offensive lines are just getting absolutely mauled the whole time. And I mean, it, it speaks to the value of building a great defensive front and how like, I, I always think, you know, people say defense wins championships, bullshit, pass rush wins championships. And I think offensive line will help mitigate that being like an insane advantage for either of these squads. Cool. All right. Let's get to our Eagles portion here. Uh, Bradford and I both have about three to four questions. I'll let Bradford go first. Um, We might have the same questions, but uh, I'll go second in this just so I can come up with different ones. If Bradford takes some of mine. So, We'll just ask you the question, Ryan. You can tell us what what you're thinking about, and we'll we'll do some brief discussion on some Eagles points, and hopefully get out of here within the next forty five minutes or so. Let's do it. Okay, my first question is it's sort of vague, but it does have a have a have a, have a targeted point. Uh, the question is simply to run or not to run. Do you think the Eagles will? prioritize being a, a very rush-heavy attack, as they often have, against a Chiefs team that has been excellent at stopping the run? Or do you think they would prefer to kind of target a, a, a plan on sort of torching the Chiefs' almost all-rookie secondary? Like, what do you think would be a more in line uh, with being, you know, the story of an Eagles victory here? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And that's kind of been a question that we've been able to pose to the Eagles really all season because they have been so balanced where they have games where Jalen Hurts is throwing for over 300 yards, three touchdowns. And then you have games where he's kind of, you know, throwing for not even 200 yards and they've got over 200 yards on the ground as a unit as well, which can include Hurts in that rushing attack. But I think one of the reasons that question is so hard to specifically answer too is the amount of RPOs in this offense. I think that for a long time, the Eagles have kind of been known as a team that likes to fight off RPOs and it's been with different coaches it started with Chip Kelly way back in the day when he was ironically running it a lot of times with either Michael Vick or Nick Foles then we saw you know a change from Chip Kelly we move away we go into the Doug Peterson RPO system where he's able to kind of breed Carson Wentz into this uh, okay we're not gonna you know set a, a run or a pass call play in the huddle we're gonna allow what the defense is showing us to dictate what we would like to do because we have such a strong offensive line up front and now the fortunately the Eagles are in a position where they have receivers that can win one-on-one on the outside side as well so now in the Nick Sirianni you know offense that we've seen uh you know over the last two years and this year uh in large part with Jalen Hurts uh, I give a lot of credit to offensive coordinator Shane Steichen as well because he's been so dynamic and mixing up the play calls and uh I I think the RPOs are are a big reason as to why the Eagles have been so successful because they are able to stay so balanced and they're just going to literally take what the defense gives you it it doesn't necessarily have to be something they determine you know uh in, in the days leading up to the game they can just go up to the line of scrimmage trust Jalen Hurts to identify his uh you know key players on the defense he wants to read and try to find a way to exploit them so they've done a really good job in play calls at finding uh, ways to get guys like Dallas Goddard involved on you know short passes where he's able to run after the catch either on the outside or through the middle 
or even just kind of do the old school traditional ground and pound, uh, which has kind of been a, a really interesting uh, way that this Eagle season has kind of developed. Cause I think back to the 2017 season and it was a guy like LeGarrette Blount or Jay Ajayi that when the Eagles got these leads, they were pounding the rock. They were kind of running traditional, uh, you know, run plays, old school football up the middle, LeGarrette Blount, Jay Ajayi pound forward, fall forward, and, and we'll get enough first downs, but they don't necessarily have that personnel now as their backup running backs are Kenneth Gainwell and Boston Scott, two players that you would consider undersized for their position, even at running back. So even though those players have that undersized ability, they've still shown that they've been able to finish off runs. They're getting carries in the red zone. They're getting carries, uh, you know, late in the game on third down to try to push ahead and, uh, you know, clutch away some, you know, critical times for the Eagles. So I think overall, uh, you mentioned the Chiefs run defense is really strong. I think that it would be, you know, a disservice to the Eagles to not give plenty of opportunities for A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith to make plays on the outside, you know, two receivers who had over a thousand yards receiving on the season uh aj brown over 10 touchdowns himself uh in the regular season so i think they will like to get those guys involved as much as they can while also you know keeping the chiefs honest where we'll yeah we'll call those rpos at the line and uh if you're you know in a too high uh shell for example you've got your safeties deep with juan thornhill and, and justin reed we're just going to continue to run the ball uh either with hertz or miles sanders or even mixing in some of those running backs too so i think the rpos are a big reason why the eagles are in this position that they're in and it makes it a hard you know kind of thing to kind of navigate even from a Chiefs defensive standpoint uh you know what are we necessarily going to expect if you're Steve Spagnolo? you're not even necessarily sure because it might not come until the ball is already snapped and it's in Jalen Hurts's hand my question my first question here is about an individual player and uh a guy that um you just mentioned Devontae Smith how would you describe his season? Because as you mentioned, uh, of course, over a thousand yard receiver, like his yardage numbers look good. But one thing that's really surprising is you just look at the pure number of receptions he had this year. It's not very many. He only was targeted 95 times, not even a hundred full targets on the season. How would you describe Devonte Smith's game right now? And what makes him effective? Because it feels like for a large portion of the season, the national focal point, of course, has been on A.J. Brown. And of course, we see in these games like the Giants game, Devontae Smith come up with just one or two big plays. But it doesn't feel like he's the consistent producer that Brown was all year long. Am I wrong in that assessment? How would you describe Devontae Smith's season? Because it, it it's one that confuses me, to be honest with you. Yeah, sure. That's fair. And and I've been a big fan of Smith and I do have it that he had 95 catches that wasn't targets. So in the regular season, at least. So he, he's been pretty consistently involved in the offense. I think really where we've seen things change for Devontae Smith is just the fact that there's been a change in the personnel and, and the comfortability with your quarterback and with your coach. You know, that kind of second year uh, leap has kind of always been talked about in the NFL. You're hoping to be able to get that. And, uh, you know, the Eagles were fortunately able to get that out of Jalen Hurts and uh, the fact that he was in the same offense. So so I think Devontae Smith's benefited from having A.J. Brown be on the other side. You know, there's a lot of single coverage opportunities for him. Smith, we know he's a great route runner. He's able to generate separation. He's able to go up and make king tested catches, even though he has a small frame. And that was a concern of, uh, you know, scouts coming out of him in the draft. There was a reason he was the third receiver picked uh, in that draft class uh, was because they feared that he would kind of be an outlier with his size if he was, you know, to be a, you know, number one impact receiver. Well, fortunately for his standpoint now, after the addition of AJ Brown. He doesn't necessarily have to be that number one receiver, but he has still been incredibly productive. And I would say he has been incredibly consistent as well this season. Uh, you know, I, I, I think very highly of Smith's game. He's been a, uh, you know, regular contributor uh, to the Eagles, you know, this season. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of times where he's gone, you know, completely silent or, or shut out in a game. They, they, they'll they get him the ball short. They'll get him the ball deep, uh, you know. So I, I I think very highly of Smith's game. I think he wins in, in a lot of different ways. And, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, he'll continue to make an impact in the Super Bowl. But I, I think he has been, you know, really consistent and, and taking a big jump, uh, you know, this season. The fact that he's been able to benefit from being on the other side of A.J. Brown. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. Bradford? Uh, yeah, my next question, uh, I mean, I'm I'm sure we'd have probably gotten into this anyway, but this is this is something that I'm I am interested in. I was looking at this earlier, right? The IR reports for both of these teams 
Okay. What do you think? Like, I'm obviously not as plugged into the Eagles as you are. How many of these are like actually like potentially a Super Bowl problem here? Like looking at uh, Landon Dickerson, Lane Johnson, Robert Quinn, J- uh, James Bradbury appears to be just just listed as, as rest. I don't know. I have him written down, but like especially like Landon Dickerson. Like, do you think this could be like a serious problem coming up in the Super Bowl, or are these kind of the in- the things where it's like, oh, we're just not practicing them just to kind of give them some time to get up to like tip top shape? Yeah, that's a good that's a good question because uh, it has been something that's come up uh, specifically. I'll start with Dickerson. Yeah, uh, you know, we've seen one. him kind of in and out a little bit in the lineup. I know Andre Dillard got a handful of starts at guard. Um, about time for that. Gosh, you know, people forget the Eagles traded up uh, in the first round for Andre Dillard, and you know he never developed as a tackle, and now he's just kind of a rotational guard. So um, that's kind of one of the uh, rare misses that Howie Roseman has had on this roster. But the fact that he's kind of your rotational offensive lineman provides you a lot of depth at the same time. So even if Landon Dickerson does, you know, suffer uh, a re-injury to that elbow or has to step out again from the lineup. You know, their backup interior offensive linemen have, have gotten plenty of reps. They've fortunately been in positions where they've been ahead in a lot of these games and they've been able to put in their backups and uh, they're definitely well rested. And, you know, offensive line coach Jeff Stoutland for the Eagles is certainly one of the best at, at his position and his job um, and has been for a number of years. So I, I don't have too many concerns with, uh, with Dickerson, even if he does have to leave the lineup uh, that his replacement level player won't necessarily uh cost or uh do anything out of the ordinary that that would harm the the quality of the team i think for lane johnson that's an interesting one his groin injury is serious if uh if you know this was earlier in the season or or in a different circumstance he may be out you know for a sustained period of time maybe even the season uh that was definitely a a bad injury he suffered against dallas uh you know late in the year but you know you, you look at what he's been able to do we know he's one of the best tackles in football but even with the injury last week he looked pretty flawless against nick bosa a, a guy who you know may end up winning defensive player of the year when it's all said and done too so I don't have too many concerns with the O-line uh, even if there's a little bit of banged up uh, you know in-game situation uh, as it relates to Dickerson I wouldn't be too worried you know if Johnson gets re-injured then we're talking about you know maybe we have a little bit of an issue when it comes to trying to uh, block Frank Clark around the edge or uh, George Karloftis obviously who's kind of coming on here a little bit towards the end of the year but uh, for what we've seen so far from the Eagles it's really not too too concerning uh, you know they, they've been able to play through you know their injuries and it hasn't necessarily shown up on tape that it's impacted their play. So uh, I, I think that they're in a good spot health wise. And um, you know, that's about as good as you can hope for, you know, heading into a Super Bowl. Listening just to the around the NFL podcast, the uh, guys over at NFL media, uh, Greg Rosenfall said earlier today, talking about what he's hearing on, on the injury report, that he believes that basically every player on the Eagles roster should be available for the game. So I'm not too worried about any of those injuries. At least that's what I heard earlier today. Uh, I wanted to talk about a a defensive player here, Ryan. One, if you just look at regular season stats, the fact that the Eagles have four different players with over 10 sacks is just crazy. (laughs) Um, Hassan Reddick, 16 sacks. Javon Hargrave, 11. Brandon Graham, 11. Josh Wet 11. I want to talk about the guy right behind him, though, with seven in the regular season. And I just want to know what kind of impact you think he might have on this game. Obviously, we know Fletcher Cox is a future Hall of Famer. How good is he still at this point in his career? And how much of a difference can he be in a big game like this? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. And even, you know, the fact that Fletcher Cox is still on this roster um, at this point in time is, uh, you know, certainly something that you give credit to both Howie Roseman and Fletcher Cox for getting it done, because I think a lot of players in a similar situation would have ended up dipping and, and going to another team by now. But uh, certainly Fletcher Cox at 32 years old is, is certainly not what he was in, say, 2017, the last time the Eagles were in this Super Bowl, when I would consider him probably a, a top five player at his position and interior defensive lineman. You know, the last three years have been necessarily been as productive for Cox not that he's always been you know a huge sack number guy anyways uh, a lot of times where you see strength in Fletcher Cox is in his play recognition you know I, I always think about Fletcher Cox as a guy that's able to seek out screens and blow them up uh, you know keeping an eye on the running back or the tight end and uh, you know having an eye on that so that the quarterback has to just spike it in the turf instead of being able to complete a pass and hoping to get some yards after the catch and especially considering the matchup with the Kansas City Chiefs you know that they're going to get creative in terms of their pre-snap motion and their screens 
Titans and trying to disguise their running backs, whether it be McKinnon or Pacheco or even Travis Kelsey getting involved in the screen game. I think Fletcher Cox can make an impact in terms of his, uh, you know, veteran presence, play smarts, play recognition. I think a lot of the same things uh, uh, that I do with Fletcher Cox is I do with Brandon Graham, who has even been a little bit more productive this year. But uh, I, I think Fletcher Cox will maybe not necessarily be the guy, you know, on the field for all three downs, uh, you know, especially given the depth the Eagles have now on the D line, but uh, can still make an impact for you in terms of, uh, you know, how he's able to kind of sniff out uh, some of what Andy Reid may be kind of cooking up offensively. Yeah, I, I think. Cox is a guy that I'm really interested to see how this game plays out for him. Uh, because he like you like you said, he is not as big a part of the team's game plan anymore, but he is still a very good player that just understands situational football. And most players tend to do very well in Super Bowls. So I'm I'm interested to see uh wh- how how that ends up developing for the Eagles. Bradford. Well, you kind of caught my third question with the Devonte Smith thing. So now I'm now I'm trying to scramble and think of what to ask. Uh, and since I don't have a question prepared, I would like to talk about or ask your opinion on uh, an aspect of this game that kind of makes me roll my eyes a little bit. But just from a, I know we shouldn't be getting ahead of ourselves just yet, but just from a future perspective uh, for the Eagles and what the Eagles have going on. Do you think that the outcome of this game is like if they don't win this game, like like what 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 I mean to say is if if they win this game, right? Do you think that significantly impacts what the next couple of years look like, or do you think this is just sort of like a step along the process? And it's nice that they've made it here, but it's almost above schedule. Like, how much do you value this run as like the run? This is where all the pieces have come together, or it's just like it's come together a little early for you. You know, I, I think that's uh, that's a really good question and, and certainly still, you know, hard to, you know, kind of future project. I think my yeah. initial thought is like, I think this mostly kind of falls on the, you know, elephant in the room for the Eagles in terms of Jalen Hurts' future. Uh, I, I think that it's, you know, at least in my opinion, it's a very smart team building strategy to try to put together as best of 53 man roster as you can while you have a quarterback on a rookie deal. I think that allows you to maximize the potential of your team, not needing to allocate, you know, 20, 25% of your entire salary cap just to one position, even though it is by far the most important position on your football team. So for Jalen Hurts, he's still signed through 2023. We know he will be the starting quarterback for the Eagles in the year 2023, but he is a free agent following that season so I think that this game could go a long way in term determining is Jalen Hurts 100% the guy we're going to lock him up after this you know Super Bowl run if the Eagles are hoisting the Lombardi trophy he's been a great leader for us we only think he's going to get better as a quarterback you know he's played through some pain even though he's a runner we have a lot of confidence in Hurts if the Eagles win this game I could see them maybe even looking to try to lock Jalen Hurts up you know long term uh you know this offseason but if that's not necessarily the case, if we see, you know, Jalen Hurts start to struggle in this game, which hasn't necessarily been something I'm too worried about, just given the consistency of his play this season, and maybe the Eagles, you know, next season, you know, there's a lot of if ands and buts, you know, who will be back? Will they lose any of their coordinators? Will they lose any of their offensive linemen? Uh, will they lose any of their veteran players to retirement? Guys like Kelsey or Johnson or Cox or Brandon Graham. There's a lot of uncertainties, obviously, that man, no guarantees the Eagles could be back in a situation where they're in the Super Bowl again next season so that fast forwards you know if Hertz is unable to get the job done in this game you know and next season doesn't necessarily go where the Eagles are in the Super Bowl is Jalen Hurts someone that you know they consider uh you know maybe is he even still the franchise guy you know I, I would say probably I think he's played well enough to where he can get that respect but well you know that's a big decision when you start you know actually paying that big time quarterback and the Eagles actually backfired on a decision like that when they paid Carson Wentz and fortunately they were able to get out of that you know with uh <laughs> Uh, only a uh, minimum amount of damage done. I would say the Colts and uh, commanders probably regret the their Wentz decisions more than even the Eagles, which is crazy because the Eagles were the team that paid him. But, uh, you know, that's just kind of where I, I think there's a lot of kind of media and attention and eyeballs on, you know, the quarterbacks and their contract situations and all that. And Jalen Hurts is getting get a lot of love this year, an MVP candidate. You know, if the Eagles win the Super Bowl, I could see the ramifications being, you know, they may look to lock him up long term. If they lose it, maybe they go into next season and uh, still look to see how things play out a little bit before they commit to him past 2024. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Hertz is definitely like 
proven he's the guy at this point. Like, I don't know if I'd let a Super Bowl performance be the dictator of that. Like, I feel like, I mean, guy was guy is going to be the runner up for MVP, rightfully so. Like, I, and with with Hertz, it's clear that like his impact on the team is so much beyond just like the performance. Like, it's clear he's like the emotional leader of the entire team and like kind of one of the key figures they're building this whole culture around. And it's like. As much as it's kind of fun to look at some of the stuff they do and think it's like kind of cheesy, you know, like a lot of the Nick Sirianni, like, oh, we're we're listening to uh to oh man, Eight Mile and stuff like that. And like Hertz is like kind of this like very like openly like uh, slightly emotional guy, you know, talking about like all this stuff. But it's it's it works. Like it's the entire team is like bought into it. So I, I feel like you know you you can rally around Jalen Hurts in a way that you can't really rally around Carson yeah. Wentz. I mean, just from a personality perspective, like talent-wise, Jalen Hurts, I think, is more talented. But, like, just as, like, a character, like, Jalen Hurts is, like, the type of guy that you, like, you know, would go to war for. And Carson Wentz is the type of guy that you, like, cross the street to avoid having to have a conversation with, you know? Yeah, that's a great point. And there are some key differences in between the Wentz and Hurts situation. The leadership is certainly a big piece of it. I would say the on-field performance is probably similar. I think how Wentz played in 2017 prior to his injury is similar in a lot of ways to how Hurts played, uh, even though they're different styles of runners, I would say. But um, there's definitely a lot of similarities in terms of their on-field play. The off-field play is a lot of where it's different in terms of leadership, as you said. And of course, Wentz coming back off an injury there is that uncertain factor and as it turns out you know it's i'd be hard pressed to see him ever reach that form again uh you know after going through uh you know his acl surgery and then you know having some back issues after that uh you know in his rehab process coming back from the knees so there's a lot i think less question marks around jalen hurts than there were about Wentz then but i mean 2017 me would have said i'm all in on carson Wentz. i love the carson Wentz contract he's the guy he's going to be our leader for the next long time and you know, that's not to say that Jalen Hurts can't be that, but, um, you know, just having the fact that they went through that recently, you know, when you pay that contract out, it's a big time commitment and you have to be a hundred percent sure because the rest of your roster decisions are going to suffer. There's going to be cap casualties. There's going to be cuts. You're going to need to be relying on younger players to step up and roll sooner than, uh, you know, they may have needed uh, when you have a quarterback on a rookie deal. So uh, yeah, I, I think these are all conversations that the Eagles have regardless of the result of the Super Bowl, but um, especially given, you know, Know, the media impact on you know quarterback contracts that's a real thing uh if the eagles were to win this game i could definitely see that figure for jalen hurts rising into you know something that we could say maybe even be over 40 million dollars a year uh, for what he's worth i i feel like uh with uh, uh, hurts and all that it just i don't know something something about something about this eagles team and like it, it's got like a mentality to it that's different than sort of what you'd consider like the Philly mentality where it's like I feel like Philly finally broke through in the in 2017 and like the only narrative way they possibly could they had been the favorite so many times and failed and then finally they have like their big underdog Rocky story right like kind of the whole base of the city and now that that narrative's over it, it it's it's weird to be viewing from perspective like Philly as being like the big bad like yeah you know like, I feel like they've just built such, like, an interesting mentality around the team. And I, I really, that's why I can't be too mad about losing to them, right? Like, I I just feel like the team as a whole is just so, so like, I mean, watching Nick Sirianni answer some of the questions he's had to this past week, ridiculous. Like, going out, like, which, which player on the team would you not let your daughter date? And he's like, my daughter's five years old. Or, uh, yeah. or some, I think it was Dave Damage was like, do you think the Super Bowl is a must-win game? It's like, it's like the way he handles stuff like that. Like, I, I feel like uh, <laughs> just the whole the whole vibe around the Eagles is so different from what it's ever been. And I I feel like you can really buy into, like, a Jalen Hurts future, especially when you can afford to, to not have him be this good every year because what quarterbacks are you competing against? It's not like the AFC where you have, like, this insane arm race. It's like if your guy has a subpar season, all of a sudden he's, like, the 10th best quarterback in your conference, right? No, like Hertz would have to have a significant drop off to not be a top five quarterback in this con, right? Like, I, I feel like just the Eagles are set at this perfect position. And maybe this is the best crack at it they'll have, but it just the whole the whole thing just seems to be culminating into something special that we're going to be watching. 
Yeah, no, I think you brought up great points and definitely a great point in saying this may be the best opportunity they have because there's certainly no guarantee that they'll be back here again next season, even though uh, a lot of names will be. And you, you brought up a great point too. My whole life, it felt like the Eagles, anytime they were you know favored to win a game, we were excited about them. Then they let you down. But when they were the underdog in 2017, and uh, they were, even though they were the num number one seed, they were underdogs and seemingly the entire way through and doubted. And everyone's like, you can't win without Carson Wentz. And they rallied behind it they get the job done uh you know they they end up kind of rallying as a team like you said like that rocky philly like this that whole culture that was their vibe so it is a little bit weird the fact that they are now kind of the favorites uh you know in the in the super bowl against a patrick mahomes and andy reed uh it, it is a different uh you know territory and uh you know we'll see if they can live up to it uh you know they have uh you know against the giants and the niners but it's, it's a different task uh in the afc and uh you know they know they'll uh they'll need to be ready for it yeah, Sorry, if, I, if I could just jump in here uh, quick before we move on to another topic. The other thing with Hurts that I just think so many people, and this is a credit to him with how quickly he's matured as a player, like he is still only 24. Like if you look at this, this is his second full season playing quarterback in the NFL. Like this, I personally believe I've just seen enough with like guys like Josh Allen and Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes and these special passers that we're viewing in this generation that guys don't like hit their plateau until like the fourth or fifth year they're in the league. Like I would make an argument that even though the Bills didn't have a great season this year, this was Josh Allen's what fifth or sixth season. Like he still improved this year. I thought this was the best season of his career. And the same could be said for Joe Burrow. And, and you could say, sure, that's all based on environment and the strength of the teams they have around them. But I do think there is a real case to be made that next year Jalen Hurts gets even better as a passer. And like, at because we see from guys, especially running quarterbacks, like you even look at Michael Vick's career arc, like Michael Vick in his late career became an excellent passer because he just couldn't use his legs the way he used to anymore. Like guys like Lamar Jackson, another good example. People forget like Lamar Jackson gets a bad rap this year because he had absolutely no help around him in Baltimore. He had the worst receiving and offensive line talent in the league for a star quarterback, in my opinion. But his arm was absolutely incredible this year. You think to like the week 12 game he plays against the Bears where he completes like a 65-yard air pass to whoever he's got left standing on, on the roster at that point. Like, I would argue if you look at September when he had all his weapons, this was the best passing season of Lamar Jackson's career period. Like these guys that are runners first and make their names with their legs, they do improve as passers as they go along because they learn, yeah, I'm not as durable anymore. I can't just be Superman all the time. I have to improve my game and, and they do get better and you can last your arm lasts a lot longer than your legs do. And it's clear he has the arm talent. So I, I just think the ceiling is so much higher than some people think it is for Jalen hurts. Like I do believe he has like a, a a burrow an Allen, a Mahomes type ceiling. Like that, that is the type of player we're talking about here. And I feel like sometimes it's like, no, he's a tier below that. No, like he can get to that level. Like we can talk about him in two to three years. If he's still playing this way, if his legs are still an option as one of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen play the game. Like I, I just believe that. Yeah, I, Jalen Hurts is one of my favorite players in the NFL. You know, I, I think like studying him is one of, uh, you know, just like one of many reasons I, I love the game of football. You know, I think you you scout and you watch players and, and you hope to, be, you know, of them being able to kind of develop into something that they are. And for Jalen Hurts, you know, I after the Eagles took him in the second round, you know, a flawed quarterback prospect, no doubt. Like you watch what he did in, in school and his freshman year at Alabama. You know, he was a runner first. This guy could not throw the ball. They 
they, uh, Nick Saban did not have confidence in Jalen Hurts to throw the ball more than 10 yards down the field. And that's really not much of an exaggeration. Like this guy was a liability as a passer. And what you saw is development. You saw him every single year continue to take strides up and it lines up right in line with, with what we see in his leadership and his character that, you know, Jalen hurts is not going to let some challenge uh, including getting benched at halftime of a national championship game, you know, being forced into a backup role the following season where he's able to be just worked in as a ride receiver or a gadget player before he's called upon in an SEC title game to come in and, and save the day for Alabama against Georgia uh, in, in what was a crazy game. His senior year, he transfers to Oklahoma. He gets the coaching from Lincoln Riley. He's developing into a deep downfield passer. He's able to throw passes to guys like CeeDee Lamb and uh, Marquise Brown. Like he, he was able to benefit and develop. And then you saw him jump into the NFL and, you know, his rookie year, he, he's sitting behind Carson Wentz, only plays in four games, you know, didn't really see too much of him uh, before he was able to kind of take over that starting role. And yeah, there were still ups and downs as a passer uh, for him. He had a game I remember against the New York Giants uh, in 2021 where you know, he had a couple of terrible interceptions Ed one right before halftime where he threw it right to a Giants defender. And, you know, everybody that evaluates Jalen Hurts for, you know, his straight up film, his ability, you're like, maybe he is limited as a passer. Maybe that's just what he is. Maybe that's why he was a second round pick. Maybe that's why people that critique Jalen Hurts coming out of college and early on in his NFL career, uh, you know, didn't see it out of him. But, you know, this year being able to just have everything right around him, you know, there were there was not going to be any excuses. Hurts had to, you know, have a season like this uh, to live up to those people that you know said he couldn't be a starting NFL quarterback and he answered pretty much all of those questions this year uh he he really did he, he stepped up both running and passing the ball and uh you know had some just incredible throws this season to AJ Brown deep downfield and uh he missed a few of those in the playoffs still so uh yeah I guess that is uh still I guess fully to be determined if he can make them in the Super Bowl but uh you know I think there's a lot to like with Hurts and that's really just kind of been the theme in, in his development not even just in the NFL but going back to his four years in college is just every single season he continues to take steps up that people that doubt him and and don't think he can be this pocket passer or make throws deep downfield he's answered those questions and you know he just continues to make uh you know progress and seems like his uh his mindset and mentality towards his uh his approach is a big reason for that final question for me here and then i think we can wrap up uh, unless he, there's something that we blatantly missed uh which i'll give you the floor to kind of talk about one thing that you think maybe we missed after this but we brought him up briefly i do just want to ask like i get it I get Nick Sirianni is kind of a punching bag. He's kind of cheesy. Like he plays into the Philly thing a little bit too much. Like if he wasn't winning, he'd be the laughing just sock of like totally the, the butt of a lot of jokes in the NFL, but he's winning. How much of a difference does he make? Because I, I'm of the belief that as an offensive mind, he's up there with Andy Reid just because of the, amount of ways he can beat you and the the number of schemes that work for him like his deep passing scheme is great his middle of the field stuff is great his running game is on a different level like how good of a coach is Nick Sirianni or how much of this do you think that can be contributed to like offensive coordinators and just the talent that the Eagles have on their roster because I, I just don't honestly know how to feel about him sometimes. Like sometimes this year, I would argue he, he was a top five NFL head coach. But I think if you took a larger step back and asked me who the five most impactful NFL head coaches were, I don't think I'd put him on that list. Where is the correct place to view Nick Sirianni and what does this game mean for that? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question, Eric. Really like that thought uh, that you have there. And I do think there's more credit in my mind towards Howie Roseman and putting together this roster. I think about big moves like trading for AJ Brown on draft day, uh, you know, going after Chauncey Gardner Johnson right before the season starts and and getting him, uh, you know, re-signing some of your, you know, current players that have performed well, like TJ Edwards and Josh Sweat, uh, you know, uh Jordan Mailata as well. You know, I I think that there's a lot of credit to be had had uh primarily towards the roster more so than Nick Sirianni and then even on the coordinator front I think what Shane Steichen's done as the primary play caller uh for the offense has uh, been extremely impactful but I don't want to undersell what Nick Sirianni does because I think that 
probably the most important job of a head coach is to manage the locker room. I think that that can be overlooked because we want the Kyle Shanahan funny offensive uh, play caller and and guy that's, uh, you know, the, the, the Sean McVay, you know, I'm, I know everything about football. I'm a genius schematic coach and I'm going to dominate you. I think we all want that obviously, but if you can manage a locker room, if you can trust your players, if you can say, yeah, Jalen hurts, you know what? You're kicking ass at quarterback. I want you to be breaking down the huddle. I want you to be leading this team. You know, having that trust in your players there, there is validity to that. And especially if you want to get to a level where you're winning the conference or winning the Super Bowl, you need to have that trust in your own staff. And I think Nick Sirianni is a great people person. I think it's funny. Like you said, there's things you can make fun of him for, but the Eagles are always sharing things where, you know, he's walking around the facility and he's wearing a shirt with Devonte Smith's face on it. It's like, this guy just loves the, the, the guys in that locker room. And uh, there is a lot of that where you're trying to get the most out of a lot of different people. There's not only 53 players on your team, but there's an entire coaching staff an entire support staff, uh, you know, that all try to be on the same page and uh, Nick Sirianni and his post-game press conferences for, uh, you know, say they had a, a Sunday game before a Thursday turnaround they had this year, you know, he's in the, in the locker room post game and he's already getting guys on on bikes they're already starting their recovery they're already moving on like I think he's really organized as a coach uh and it's really hard to do that at a football operation at the NFL level especially in just your second year as a coach so I give Nick Sirianni a lot of credit for doing really the primary responsibilities of a head coach and uh while I don't think it's necessarily more significant of an impact as the roster construction or some of the play calling that Shane Steichen's done or uh you know the fact that the defensive line has been so dominant I think those are more significant in the in the grand scheme of things but uh like I said I think Sirianni's pushing all the right buttons and uh, that can be a lot easier said than done, uh, you know, when it's going right. Anything we didn't cover, anything that you just have burning on your mind right now that you really would think would help us understand this game better going into Sunday? Yeah, really what's been on my mind about this game uh, primarily relates to the pass coverage uh, that the Eagles are going to try to deploy. And you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, and I think it starts and not ends, but it, it starts and continues with number 87, Travis Kelsey. You know, he's number he's the number one receiver the Chiefs have had. It's been that way for years. It's no secret that they're going to look to move him around. They're going to line him up in the slot. They're going to try to hide him where it looks like he's, you know, blocking an edge rusher and then sneaks away and catches a screen pass over the middle and is trying to use his ridiculous athleticism and speed to, uh, you know, bowl through tacklers. So the Eagles linebackers are going to have a, a, a matchup cut out for him. Guys like TJ Edwards and Kaiser White have been pretty good this year. I feel better about Edwards ability and coverage than I do Kaiser White's, but I think if the Eagles can help themselves out, double team Travis Kelsey on these third downs, make a guy like Marquez Valdez Scantling go one on one and beat uh, a guy on the outside like Darius Slay or James Bradbury or Avante Maddox, uh, if, if he was so in the slot, for example. Uh, you know, I think that's going to be a key for the Eagles because they are well aware that Travis Kelsey can be the guy that will, you know, single handedly break you as he has been for the majority of the last, uh, you know, five to 10 years. It's been ridiculous the amount that he's put up. So uh, if I was Jonathan Gannon, and if I was the defensive coordinator, I feel great about my D-line. I feel like we can rush four. And even though the Chiefs have a strong O-line, you know, we'll be able to, to contain and, and get around to Mahomes enough. We just need to make sure we have eyes on 87 at all times. And the more we're doubling him, the more likely we have a chance to, uh, you know, come away with a, uh, a victory on Sunday. So I think the pass coverage uh, is maybe a little bit under the radar because we look at that D-line and we see the sack numbers and we see what Hassan Reddick's doing. But what uh what Darius Slay, James Bradbury, you know, what uh, Chauncey Gardner Johnson, Avante, Avante Matt, excuse me, Marcus Epps. Those guys in the secondary, uh, you know, I think that's going to be a, a, a big time key. And uh, they've really been up to the task for a lot of this season. But uh, Travis Kelsey, uh, you know, you, you got to give him that respect. And there's a good chance he ends up finding the end zone, at least at some point. But how you contain him, how you have eyeballs on him, uh, you know, that's going to be what I think is a, a big competitive advantage, uh, you know, in this game. I mean, Kelsey, Kelsey's like, like really the guy, especially with like a lot of the injuries that she's have at wide receiver right now. Like who knows, like who's going to be fully ready to go. Like Kelsey, if you can somehow now, no team has really been successful with this, but if the Eagles can take him out of the game, then they win the game. Right. Yeah. Like it's such a huge aspect to it because so much of the chief's magic is based on when you almost have them on the ropes, Mahomes uh, jukes out and he finds Kelsey. Kelsey just finds a way. And if you remove that uh, uh, release valve, then you got him. You got him right where you want him. So the pass protection is, is a huge, huge part of this. Yeah, uh, I think 
those are all really good points heading into uh, into this game. All right, Ryan. Well, me and Bradford, we're going to keep our picks close to the vest until Friday. But you are our guest here. Do you have a pick yet? Have you even gotten that far? I, I, to be completely honest with you, do not know who I'm picking yet in this game. I probably won't know until tomorrow or Thursday. Uh, But what are you thinking here? Give us a, a score and maybe the MVP of the Super Bowl. Yeah, no, I I'm feeling good from an Eagles standpoint on uh, on on their chances to win this game. I, I I think you know that last point I mentioned on Travis Kelsey. To me, that's really going to be the key to the game. If he's killing them on third down, if he's scoring touchdowns in the red zone, you know that's really the way that the Eagles end up losing this game. You know, I think this season, you know, following them, watching you know football, they've been the best football team this season. They only have one loss when Jalen Hurts has uh you know started a game and it was kind of a stupid Monday night game against Washington that. I, I hate is has been a thing, but they, they've been the best football team in the NFL. I don't have much reason to think that, you know, things won't continue in the Super Bowl, even though the opponent is Andy Reid. It is Patrick Mahomes. They have the pedigree. They have the experience. They have a recent Super Bowl title. There's a lot to like with the Eagles. And I realistically could see this, you know, ended up snowballing to where the Eagles win by, you know, two possessions, for example. But uh, for the sake of, uh, of this prediction, this podcast, I'm going to go with a 28-23 score in favor of the Eagles in this one. I think they will have a enough juice to uh, end up getting it done. And uh, I think Jalen Hurts will get the MVP. Just kind of keep it basic. But uh, if I'll give you a uh, a uh, dark horse guy to keep your eye on under the radar, Kenneth Gainwell, without a doubt, he's been great in these postseason uh, performances. Miles Sanders obviously gets a lot of the love and, you know, has a good chance to have another strong game. But I've loved the play of Kenneth Gainwell over recent weeks, getting involved not only in the run game, but also as a pass catcher. That can be a big reason he can be involved instead of Miles Sanders. I think back to the last Eagles Super Bowl and it was a guy like Corey Clement who was their third string running back that ended up catching a touchdown and making a big impact in that game I could see something similar from Kenneth Gainwell uh in this game so I like the Eagles to win it 28-23 Jalen Hurts MVP and I think Kenneth Gainwell gives you a nice performance in uh in his reserve role right all right thank you so much for joining us Ryan this has been a ton of fun expect this to be out later tonight Bradford long week of podcasting ahead Get your rest, drink your water, get your schoolwork out of the way. We'll be right back here tomorrow night. By the way, while we were tweeting, it does sound like the Saints and uh, the Raiders at least have compensation figured out for a Derek Carr trade. So I would guess wow. that tomorrow we get some kind of news about Derek Carr being moved. So uh, we will be likely talking about that tomorrow. We'll talk about Aaron Rodgers' darkness retreat, whatever that is, and uh, some uh, Super Bowl storylines. And then uh, back Thursday, good friend of mine from a place I used to work, Christian Esparza, also a Broncos fan, will be on for the Chiefs preview, and we will be peppering good old Bradford with some questions as we did to Ryan in this episode. Thank you all so much for listening this week, of course, really important best way you can help me out as a friend as a listener of this podcast hey if you see it on twitter at endzone pod at eric 18 utah at eric jensen sport just throw a quick retweet throw a quick like get it out there to more people get the eyes on it usually our biggest download week of the year is this week which you know isn't saying much it's usually like 70 people or so but that's pretty big for this podcast so you know any help we can get is much appreciated and if you're a regular listener, I know there are a few out there because we, we get at least 10 to 15 downloads an episode. Please go to iTunes, rate and review, leave a five-star review, leave a leave a review for the podcast. It helps us out just so much. And uh, do the same if you're a, you know, a Spotify person. There's now a Spotify rankings uh, place where you can leave stars for podcasts on Spotify. Go ahead and do that as well. That's primarily where we tweet the links out from. So we are a Spotify first family here at the end zone podcast until then, until tomorrow, this has been Eric Jensen for Ryan Kearney and Bradford Sonnenberg. We will be back tomorrow. Peace out.